It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for being with us. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways to interact with us. Phone number 973-667-1960. You could also head to Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we're getting you set for the Giants at Cardinals at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. But right off the top of the show, as we are always joined throughout the course of the season, it is time for the Sims Spotlight. Brought to you by Bigelow Tea, grab a mug and tea proudly. And we are now joined by two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, suited up for the New York Giants at quarterback, none other than Giants legend Phil Simms. Phil, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time as always. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Everything is fine. Um, you know, great week, uh, getting down to the great time of the NFL seasons. Four weeks ago, it seems short, but if you're in that locker room, it's still a long way to go, and many things can happen as we saw last week, don't tell me, oh, they're going to win this game and that game. We see upsets. And the other thing that catches just as I was coming on, I hear all the video and everything, and Lawrence Taylor saying, let's play like crazed dogs. We should have mic'd up Lawrence every single game. Because <laughs> no what would he have actually done if he was mic'd up every game? Because that was a preseason game against the Jets. And I remember looking at him going, why is Lawrence so crazy tonight? <laughs> because he had that microphone on, so he was going to let it all go. So I, I laugh every time I hear it. Absolutely. Always provided the highlights on and off the field, as you can attest to it. Speaking of the good old days, Phil, before we get into the present Giants and some questions that were submitted for you, want to start off with news that obviously impacts you because, you know, you had an opportunity to play for Ray Perkins. He was your first ever NFL head coach with the Giants and fortunately passed away the other day at the age of 79. What do you remember about your time with Ray Perkins and the impact he had on your career? Well, listen, he made my career. Uh, he had the courage and everything to uh, draft me with the New York Giants at number one. I really don't believe anybody probably in the organization was uh, along with him, including George Young. I think George Young probably, knowing George and n nothing against him and all that, but, you know, he liked to play it safe. And uh, I was not a safe pick, that's for sure. But I remember Ray Perkins coming down to Moorhead State and put me through the most grueling workout for a quarterback maybe in history. We threw the ball. We kept throwing the ball. We threw it some more. And it just I was like, wow. I, I just turned to him. I said, anything else you need to coach? Oh, yeah. Get him over there. I want to see this and that. And I said, how do you want me to throw? He goes, I want you to throw every ball as hard as you can throw it. And, you know, he always had that as he got done talking. I was like, man. <laughs> So it, it went forever, but it went great, and I remember that. And, of course, look, he was a tough coach and all that. We had some tough times together, too, but also some good times, too. And I've, I've kept in touch with him somewhat over the years, and really sad to hear that he passed away. One thought from me, Phil, I'd like you to describe to the folks out there, what was the recipe that, that he was able to implement that turned the Giants around? I mean, it turned out to be 17 years of non-playoff seasons until 81, when obviously you guys got in and beat Philly in the first round. And then, of course, in 82, he wound up taking the job, uh, right. you know, agreed to go to Alabama while you guys were still playing. I wonder what his legacy would have been had he been around longer. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think he did something. What he did, he came in, he just brought a sense of toughness to the football team. And we played that first year with what was there, uh, you know, which a lot of teams do. They wait to strip the team. Then our second year, we completely just redid the roster, and we were, we were absolutely horrendous. I mean, we were losing games. We went out to San Diego to play the Chargers, and I knew their fight song by halftime. I mean, it was, you know, and the cannon. I think I was deaf from the cannon going off so much back then when they did it. We were really bad, but he did. they did it on purpose. And then, of course, 
1981, we turned into a different team that was, um, you know, played well enough to get in the playoffs. So it, it was a formula. I don't know if people really put up with that anymore. Where we have seen it, we saw the Miami Dolphins do it and do it extremely well. But boy, it's a big risk. Uh, he took it, and um, you know, it, he's kind of like uh, some of the coaches we see haven't. Him and Joe Judge maybe a little bit in common, but Joe Judge a little more modern with the way he does things. But when he walked in the room, which I always say about head coaches, you knew he was the man. And no matter what com- the conversation was or you were talking about, you were always careful because you knew he was the guy. He was the guy in charge and uh, really carried himself that way too. Phil, I'm glad you brought up a potential comparison between Ray Perkins and Joe Judge because this relates to one of our submitted questions. Based on what you're seeing over the last few weeks in terms of how this current Giants team is developing, somebody asked, based on your experience once Bill Parcells took over, how that team developed, do you see comparisons between what Parcells did for your team compared to what Judge is now doing for the current Giants? Well, I definitely do in the second year of Bill Parcells' reign with the Giants. And he said, if I survive this Sims after our first year, which was really bad, he goes, we're going to do things my way. And, you know, we went to training camp with really a, a basically a different team. Uh, we were different in lots of ways. And it was Bill's, Bill Parcells turned into Bill Parcells. And, you know, that's what it took. The first year he had too many veterans that he's probably close to. He'd coached the defensive side. And he, you know, probably, well, this is how coaches are supposed to act. And he just turned into a different person the second year. <clears throat> and, it, uh, of course, it worked great. I see similarities with Joe Judge. You know, I loved it. And, and I fought back against it. I laugh at all these things and all these ex-players and people on TV. Well, today's player, you just can't treat them a certain way. Well, what are they, China dolls? I mean, were you scared to hurt their feeling and things like that? And Joe Judge making guys take laps, that was a big deal. Guys come on TV, this is crazy. He's going to lose the team. And it just went on. You know, it's nonsense. That's what it is. It's total nonsense. You have to be there to see how it goes, how it's accepted. He made coaches do it. He dove in the mud one day. He wore a dang old Miss jersey because of Evan Ingram, because they beat uh, Mississippi State, all these things. So he has blended both the new era with the old era, where when he walks in, we know he's the man. And I don't know whether any other way to say it, except that now we're seeing it on the field in many ways. The discipline of the team is second to none, and people can call in and say, well, Phil, played for the Giants. Say, come on, you know I haven't been – complimentary all the time about the Giants. I try to tell the truth. And, well, I don't try. I do. And uh, so I love what I see. And he's just – he is old school, but he's just doing it in a, in a different era. That's what – and it's, it's working well, that's for sure. Well, one of the things he certainly has from these guys is their 100% effort, Phil, because what they did last week in Seattle with Colt McCoy as the quarterback was very impressive. He may have to do it again this week. Don't know if it's going to be McCoy or Daniel Jones. So let me just ask you this about Jones with his hamstring situation. As somebody who is very much in tune to the scientific elements of playing quarterback, In your mind, what are the things that you would want Daniel Jones to be able to do? Coach has said he wants him to be able to defend himself and play the position safely. When you hear that, what does that say to you, and what are you looking for to see if he could get on the field against the Cardinals? Well, I I really would want him, after what I saw on both sides of the football last week against the Seattle Seahawks and what Colt McCoy did and how he handled the game, which wasn't a surprise, I mean, Colt McCoy played at Texas, played the national championship game. They probably would have won if he didn't get hurt against Alabama, um, you know, that. But the fact he's been in the league, everything, still mobile enough, has enough arm, and just really handled the ball well. kind of reminds me of watching Alex Smith of the Washington football team right now. So my, my answer is I want Daniel Jones to be so close to 100% that we don't know and he doesn't feel a difference. Because if he has to, if there's any thought, I've got to be a little careful here, maybe not drop as hard, maybe not take off as quick as I usually would do, all those things. If they're not there, then I'm going to put my trust in Colt McCoy. Because I want Daniel Jones to be 100%, and I don't want this to linger on. And that's just my feelings. And, you know, he's, he's 
really getting better since the last time I talked to you guys. You know, his feel for the game, the offense just keeps evolving, and the defense just keeps getting more and more disciplined and smart, and they're playing a lot of guys. So, you know what that tells me? This whole thing, to wrap it up, is players want to be coached, and if they get better, they love their coach. And that's what they want. Make me better because that's what I, I think I am. <clears throat> and, of course, playing better usually leads to more money for, for you somewhere down the line, too. <laughs> so, that's, that, that's, hey, that's what players want. Give us a guy that's going to give us a chance to really show how good we are. We're talking with former Giants quarterback Phil Sims here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. This is the Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow T. Grab a mug and tea proudly. And as you just hit on, Phil, they have been rotating personnel on both sides of the ball because well, we've love. seen a lot of offensive linemen get into the game. And yep. also, interestingly, the Cardinals, who they're playing this week, they've been rotating offensive linemen too. And I'm curious, through your lens as a quarterback, whether it's Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy, how much is that an adjustment for a quarterback when – the five guys you have on one drive are not necessarily there for the second or the third drive. I would say that adjustment is a big fat zero. And, um, you know, you're the quarterback. You're you're not really, sometimes you don't know which five are in there. Uh, My last year with the New York Giants, Dan Reeves, we rotated centers, Brian Williams and Bart Oates. And I thought, oh, man, this is crazy, you know, the snap. And I'm just going on and on in my mind. I don't say anything like I disagree with this. But as we played – it became a great thing because they both brought tremendous energy. They both stayed fresh. And I remember walking to the sideline once, and I said, Bart, are you in next series? He goes, yeah, man, I'm rested. He goes, this rotation thing is great. <laughs> and I, just, <laughs> I, just, I go, really? He goes, oh, man, it's great. You know, I get rested up. I'm ready to go again. And, you know, Brian Williams had a personality that was really awesome, uh, kind of an alpha male. Both of them were. You know, I could say anything to Brian Williams and Bart Oates. If something was going wrong with the offensive line, I would yell at them, just really give it to them. And they, you know, Bart once said, well, it's not my fault. I said, Bart, I don't care. You're, you're the, you've got to straighten that out. I don't care. Just straighten it out. It's your job. That's not my job. I don't have time. I'm just going to tell you to straighten it out. And Bart was so great. He was such an unbelievable team player. He'd go, okay, okay, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll get it fixed. And I, just, I laugh. I can just remember the day we did that when I really just got on him, and he just took it right in stride and just uh, went went along, talked to the linemen, and they got some things straight. So I don't think it's going to hurt Col- Colt McCoy. Well, it hasn't, or or um, Daniel Jones, the offensive line. Before I know it's a long answer. Sorry, there were there were moments of brilliance against Seattle. And the running backs ran hard, did all that. <clears throat> but if the running backs would have had a little, just a little better game, they left a lot of yards on the field too, I thought. I thought the blocking a few times was sealed, both sides perfect. But the running backs, you know, got a little too impatient, <clears throat> didn't wait for it to, to open up. And they, I thought they had them just blocked where there's going to be some – just here we go, free run. Now you got to catch me runs um, that the Giants let go. Phil, one of our fans, AJ Marshall three, wants to ask about uh, tight end Evan Ingram, who was part of a package where the Giants did not only a lot of double tight ends but three tight ends yeah. the other day in Seattle as they went heavy up front to try to pound the football. He wants to know about Ingram's inconsistencies and how could you possibly help him to clean that stuff up. Well, you know, one thing, it's, it's a little bit of a trend in the league right now. I, and I watch games during the week. I just got done watching the Indianapolis Colts play Houston. They're playing a lot of three tight ends. What that does, most defenses, most will come in and match personnel. So what you've done right away is you know what you're going to get on the field. You slow the defense down because bigger guys come in. Now it gives you, not only to give you the power to run and do different things and pull one of the tight ends, and you can do so much. And, you know, you can screen off of it. But most of the time, the other team is going to play zone. So what it does, too, it gives the quarterback. We did it. Ron Earhart started it. We did it because of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, And it was good for for me. I loved it because it was good for three or four, like, really easy completions every game, which, you know, back then when you were playing the Eagles, every completion was a a, a victory. Uh, So, you know, I see it a lot in Evan Ingram. I, I, I'm just encouraged. I really am. 
I think as this thing gets going, I can't wait to see. I, I can see his confidence growing, I think, when I watch him play. He's aggressive. There's no doubt he's a threat down the field. And I wouldn't even think about giving up or worrying about Evan Ingram. I think he's going to turn into the big-time star that we think he, that when he was drafted, what they thought he would be. Phil, you just alluded to the different styles of defenses and schemes that they could present to opposing offenses. And I'm listening to the quarterbacks that have gone up against the Giants over the last few weeks. The common theme is the Giants are disguising a lot. They're throwing us off. There's a lot of confusion that they're creating. As somebody who's gone up against a lot of schemes, I'm sure you've seen disguises. How challenging is that to deal with if you're a quarterback and it's very hard to get a read on what the Giants' defense is doing series in and series out? Well, it's hard to get a – listen, two things, and I keep saying it, and I do mean it, and I just watched you know, the Houston Texans defense, and I go, okay, now I know why they're bad. Okay, because this guy took a chance and he gambled and he went in there to try to be a hero and then he gave up a 30-yard run down the sideline. Oh, another hero. I'm going to hit the quarterback before the running back who I'm supposed to cover. I let him go because I'm a, yeah, oh, touchdown, uh, Jonathan Taylor down the field. I mean, you know, so the Giants don't make those mistakes. I think the fact that so many young guys are now in and out and players keep changing on the defensive side, that's going to be confusing. Yes, great uh, movement at the snap by a lot of guys, all that. When I look at it, I don't I, – I, I know they're, they're confused maybe by some of the personnel. I don't see the Giants being anything like um, the Kansas City Chiefs or the Miami Dolphins where they might put all 11 guys within one or two yards of the line of scrimmage. The Giants are not doing that. They're playing very sound. They're going to make you earn everything. And, you know, just all the young players – the defensive line, Leonard Williams, I mean Dalvin Tomlinson, you know, just so many guys are playing so much better. And I, I got to admit, this week watching them play Seattle, I had to get out my depth chart and start looking, going, who in the heck is this? <laughs> and you know, so so many guys come in. And here's the last thing: is I, I, I'm really big in this. I like the look of the team. They look big on defense, which they are. They're big on the offensive line now and versatile and more athletic. Shane Lemieux, I know you guys talk about him all the time. I went through and watched. I have a machine, which is really great, that I could just type in his name and just watch him play. And him, Nick Gates at center, all of it, just how well it's working and this changing of offensive linemen. I've seen it done many times in the league. Of course, Joe Judge, who did he learn it from? Oh, that's right, Bill Belichick used to do it when he had – when they were winning Super Bowls, he'd be rotating offensive linemen. I'd be doing the game going, hey, Jim, don't even talk about it. We can't keep up with it. So <laughs> let's just do the overall what's going on here. But you know what it does? Keeps guys fresh, uh, keeps them motivated to keep practicing hard to earn the reps, and, of course, motivates them when they're in the game to play well to make sure they get their reps the following week. So I, I think it's a great strategy. Uh, it's making the team better, and it's working great. Final one for me, Phil. I know we're kind of running out of time here. The Giants faced Russell Wilson and, of course, Metcalf, the big monster receiver in Seattle last week. It's Kyler Murray this week. It's DeAndre Hopkins also. There are so many people who want to compare the Cardinals and Seahawks offenses. Do you think that that's justified? And what philosophical approach would you take against this Cardinals offense this week? Would Bradbury, for example, have to shadow Hopkins if you were the defensive coordinator? Well, he, yeah, he could. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. The big thing about that, what they did last week when, when oh, shoot, I'm, when the, who, who played Seattle last week? I'm drawing a blank. Giants. Well, you guys. Oh, what am I talking about? <laughs> That's so many games in my mind. But the what they did, they just didn't let him go deep down the field. You know, that's the big get-the-team-rolling kind of thing. And they played it safe. The, the, the differences in the games is two things. One, Russell Wilson, he was afraid to pull the trigger because, you know, he wants to see – really, he wants man-to-man -man coverage all the time. That makes it easy for him because he picks a guy, he throws it to him. When he sees the zone, he likes to look quick, and if the first little thing is not open, he ducks and kind of crouches and looks for a running lane, which was not there like it, it used to be in the past. Not only that, Russell Wilson is not the danger to run the football now like he was three years ago. So that really hurt him, and I've seen that – 
for now three straight weeks, or maybe four with the Seattle Seahawks, that they're being so careful on the offensive side, trying to win it close. And I think the Giants really got to, like, the beginner set of what you want to do against Kyler Murray. And I know why I got confused, because just watching the Patriots playing was really, really interesting. They just kind of stood there a lot of times, believe it or not. They stood there. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they got great cover guys. And they were going to make sure he did not run. And they were going to make him throw it to places he didn't want to. And uh, it worked great. The Patriots still a little lucky to win the game, no doubt. But Kyler Murray wasn't near the force in the game that he had been in previous, you know, sometimes this year. So if the Giants contain him, everything else is going to fall in place. You know, if he gets to run and picks up big first downs, and then they might have some running plays for him, which they did for a while that worked great. But they haven't. I haven't seen those in a couple of weeks work either. So this is going to be interesting. I really do expect the Giants to play very well against them, and I, I think it will be. I think they can and will beat the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals team that now has dropped three in a row after their strong start. He is former Giants quarterback Phil Sims. This is the Sims Spotlight brought to you by Bigelow T. Grab a mug and tea proudly. Phil, always appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to speaking to you later on in this season. Stay well, All Phil. right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, you, now, now what are we going to do the rest of the show? We're just going to keep breaking down last week's game. What do we do? We're going to take phone calls, Phil, and all these fans are going to tell us about how the Giants are going to munch on Arizona. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <laughs> the fans are going to give the – you know, last thing I want to say, they match up. I see – I looked at it. One of the questions might have been the playoffs, Seahawks, Rams, and Bucks. It could be one of those three teams. Uh, listen, they got a little taste, I think, of all of them, you know, so they, they know a little something there about them, and it, that will be interesting. They could – the Giants win this division. They can win a playoff game at home. That's what I think. So we'll, it will be interesting to see who, if they can do it, which I think they will, and then who they play in the playoffs is going to be awesome. Phil, we're going to have to extend your deal then to go into the playoffs. <laughs> well, I'm always up for more money. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm we'll have our people uh, speak to your people, Phil. This. I do it because you guys are great. You do a great job, and uh, everything. It's always a pleasure to come on and talk to you. Always great to be with Same you, Phil. Right, Take man. care. Have a great day. All right, Phil. Take care. Phil Sims with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, weighing in on the current state of the Giants, also reflecting on the passing of Ray Perkins, his first-ever head coach in the NFL. We always thank Phil for his time. And based on his breakdown, Paul, very high on the Giants' defense, which I don't think is a surprise, but based on his last answer, and it's something that we've also talked about earlier this week, when you go up against Seattle, which was – a significant test compared to some of the other offenses they played, and now you're going to get Arizona. If this defense continues to perform at this level and can hold opponents within that 20-point barometer, they'll absolutely put themselves in a position to stay within games and win just about every single game. Well, sure, although at the same time, Lance, and you harp on this a lot about critical penalties at critical times, you don't have a lot of margin for error. If you're going to try to play the game somewhere in the high teens to the low 20s. Sure. It is that critical penalty, the critical turnover, that is going to come back and bite you in the butt. You're going to have to, and I mean really have to make sure you play clean football, which is, of course, something that Joe Judge stresses. He always says, fundamentally sound and pay attention to details. I love what Phil said about the C- uh, not the Seattle Seahawks, about the Arizona Cardinals and the game against the Patriots earlier a couple of weeks ago. I just got done the other night. I was up till 4 in the morning. I replayed that entire Patriots-Cardinals game twice. I freaking broke down that film like a fine-tooth comb because I said, hey, this, this is the blueprint that Judge is going to use to take on Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And I studied it, and I studied it, and I studied it, and Phil could not be more accurate. They did not aggressively go after Murray. They basically held the line of scrimmage and said, okay, pal, go ahead and throw it because you're not going to beat us with your legs. And that was the generic philosophy that they used against that club. They, they pulled back the juice on their pass rush. They did not push the pedal to the metal and go after him. Because what does Kyler Murray want? He wants you to chase after him like a dog chases a rabbit at a dog track. That's what he wants. Can't do it. 
and make him beat you with his arm. And right now, his arm, after that sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder that he suffered a few weeks ago, mm, he can still whip it, but I have some doubts. I have some doubts because he's not thrown it as well as he used to the last few weeks. And again, as you notice, teams have taken a page from what the Patriots had done to them because against Seattle, against New England, and against L.A., the last three games they've played, Murray has only had five carries apiece in each one of those games. And I wonder if part of that is not just because of the defensive strategy that I've seen these teams employ. And by the way, they're not necessarily using a spy. They're more or less just holding the line of scrimmage and spreading it out a little bit. I wonder if it's not also because when Murray got racked in that game against the Seahawks, when he was thrown down and tackled uh, near the sideline on his shoulder and injured himself, I wonder if he might be a little skittish to start running. Yeah, you, I think you know what that's I mean? certainly a possibility. No, no doubt about it. And I that's thought... to everybody else's uh, benefit because, again, you take away his legs. You're taking a lot of teeth out of his game. I think it also hurt the fact that Larry Fitzgerald has been out of the lineup because he was on the COVID reserve list. You know, that's a guy that could serve as that security blanket in terms of the medium routes and somebody that he could dump it off to to try to get some yak yardage. So he's expected to return because he came off the COVID reserve list. So there's a lot of dynamics that I think are in play with this Cardinals offense, but there's no doubt about it. They have not been nearly as electric over the last few games compared to where they were earlier this season. And I'm sure, listen, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, Paul, you're probably saying to yourself, well, Joe Judge came from Bill Belichick, so did Patrick Graham. If New England did that and it worked effectively, they're probably going to throw some similar schemes out, and we're going to now have to make the adjustment, and we're going to have to force them to now make a change. I don't think that he's going to be that overlooking those facts in terms of, well, wait a minute, this is all from the same New England tree. They all seem to think alike. So it's up to now Arizona. The onus is on them of whether or not they can make the necessary adjustments here moving forward. Well, sure, because you know how it works in the NFL. Good coaches will say we're going to keep doing the same thing that has stopped you until you prove otherwise, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's just sound philosophy. And so I think that is a very important aspect to look at. Uh, And I've been looking at this actually all season long. What did Belichick do if he played a common opponent that the Giants play? I'm giving out my secrets now on how I study film, but I've been doing that all season. Oh, did Belichick play them? All right, let me see what the Patriots did. Let me study that film. That's going to give Belichick some pointers because, look, I'm not saying this for sure. I don't know. I don't get to talk to Judge privately, obviously, with pandemic rules. I got a hunch that there have been some communication between Belichick and Judge during the course of this season, wouldn't you think? 100%. I'll give you the perfect example. Before we open up the phone lines here, Paul, if you remember when the Patriots played the Rams in the Super Bowl following the 2018 season, Matt Patricia was the Lions coach, and I believe the Lions beat the Rams earlier that season. I'd have to go back and confirm this, but I do remember that Patricia gave tips to Belichick in terms of what he did effectively that worked, and they then essentially duplicated that. No surprise, right? That's no surprise at all. I'm sure a lot of these former assistants who have established some strong relationships. Now, with that being said, Paul, I don't know how much Brian Flores and the Patriots staff is exchanging (laughs) ideas, okay, because they're in the same division. But I'm sure Bill is more than happy to talk to assistants that have gone on to get jobs outside of the conference and outside of his own division. That I think I'm safe to say. And, and of course, let's not kid ourselves. You can get tips and pointers from your friendly coaches uh, all you like. If you don't have the players to execute those types of oh, things yeah. that may have worked, then you're up, 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 up a creek, okay? But, but here's the well, thing. Well, that was the PG-13 version of the creek, by exactly. the way. Exactly. Exactly. The yes. dirty creek, yeah. right? The, the muddy creek. Yes. Uh, and here's the thing, though. I do believe, okay, when you look at, uh, uh, you know, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and the Rams, the three games who have now defeated the Cardinals during this three-game losing streak. And by the way, let's not forget also that the Miami Dolphins actually started this slide for the Cardinals because they've lost four out of their last five games. And we know that the Dolphins coaching staff, oh, by the way, you were kind of associating Patricia earlier. Well, what about the Belichick connection down in Miami with Florence? Okay. So you know that Judge and Graham know Flores. 
And so what we're seeing here, I, I, I truly believe that those two guys, Graham and Judge, between Flores and Belichick, they have got a chest full of things that they can use against Arizona. Now, I did not go back and look at that Miami game because, quite frankly, it was a 34-31 to contest, and there was not a ton of defense, I don't believe, played in it. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to say that that would be the way to go. But since that time, look, the only reason they beat Buffalo was on the Hale-Murray pass at the end of the game when the Bills did an absolutely foolish thing. They put, like, three foot ten defensive backs up against uh, that big, tall Hopkins dude in the end zone. Is it any wonder that he outjumped them for a jump ball in the end zone? You know, they got a six foot two wide receiver on the sideline. Do what Bill Parcells used to do with uh, Keyshawn Johnson. In fact, uh, you know, he was one of the first guys to do it in recent memory. Bill would say, Keyshawn, you're six foot four. In a Hail Mary situation, you're going back there to be the deep safety. You go get the ball. Well, that's exactly what the Bills should have done. Serves them right for losing that game because if you're putting three five foot ten, five foot eleven DBs up against Hopkins, he's gonna beat them eight times out of ten. Yeah, Serves them right for losing that one. If any wide receiver can make a catch with five defenders on him, it's absolutely DeAndre Hopkins. No question. So give yourself a chance. But they didn't do that. And I just looked it up. The Lions did play the Rams in 2018. So Matt Patricia was able to consult with Belichick. However, with that being said, the Rams won that game 30-16. to But still, he at least had familiarity preparing against Sean McVay's offense entering that Super Bowl. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games. Once again, head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. You can also directly tweet at us. At Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Phil is in North Carolina, and he joins us. What's happening, Phil? Hey, guys. Hey, uh, before I go into my new stuff, I just wanted to, I didn't get through yesterday, I wanted to mention, uh, you know, Ray Perkins. And uh, for fellows of my age, uh, the first year I remember, we were 112-1, and <laughs> and uh, which was our worst record of all time. And going through those years, there was a few bright spots, but that 1981 season to me was, uh, magical and the product that we had uh, going through that rough stretch and seeing Rob Carpenter run wild. Uh, I couldn't thank Ray enough um, for that. And so just wanted to mention uh, my my thoughts to their family and uh, the, the appreciation I had for Ray Perkins. Um, with that said, uh, a couple. one thing I wanted to ask you, about and then I have another point is that on the first series of, of the Seahawks, Jabril uh, had that uh, hit on the sideline with the receiver, and I don't know if you saw it, but I always thought that he only had one foot in, and they quickly snapped it after that, and we didn't get a chance, and the the Fox didn't cover it really good, and no one mentioned it, but. Did you see that play, and do you agree with me that it looked like the receiver only had one foot down? It was very difficult to tell by the video that they showed. I think it would have been inconclusive. Therefore, the call stands. I'm with Paul on that, too. I think it was very close, and it's one of those things where it's not worth challenging if there's not overwhelming evidence that it's going to be overturned. Yeah, it, but, you know, it, it, it's just funny. My son and I were, were watching it, and we both said, hey, they, he never put that other foot down. I didn't even think it was close. I think they just brushed over it. So that was my viewpoint. But I would love it if you guys can get the the, the old 22 tape and, and take a look and maybe make a comment on it at some point later in the week. Okay, uh, with that said, um one thing I had an observation on uh, with Evan Ingram is that I think he has trouble with really quick passes because of his, you know, a slight slow reaction time to a fast pass 
you know, like a fastball coming at him. And I wonder if you, you feel this similarly that, you know, his react, he needs to improve on his reaction time. All right, Phil. Well, we appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. I think it goes both ways. I'm going to bring up a comparison. I was watching the Steelers play Washington earlier this week, Paul, and there was a lot of dropsies if you were watching that game for the Steelers in the last two contests, and a lot of people simply point to, well, it's the tight ends, it's the receivers, the lack of concentration, fundamentals, and there were some throws that Ben Roethlisberger was throwing to a guy that was maybe five yards away from him. Paul, it was a missile coming at a receiver. It was like, take the mustard off the pass, Ben. I mean, I know you're trying to prove to everybody that your elbow's fine, but my goodness. So I'm not saying that the Giants quarterbacks are guilty, but sometimes when we look at the throw and it goes off the fingertips or the receiver can't handle it, sometimes it's maybe the quarterback throwing a bit higher, there being a little bit too much mustard on what could have been a softer pass given the vicinity of the throw. I look at it both ways. I've seen quarterbacks who do have trouble taking a a, a light-touch approach, if you will, you know, lofting the ball or soft-tossing the ball, uh, and everything that comes out of their hands is an absolute missile you talked about a moment ago. Ryan Perilou, do you remember him? Oh, yeah. The practice squad quarterback the Giants had about a half a dozen or so years ago. He did not understand what it meant to let up on the gas. Everything that he threw, and it didn't matter if you were five yards away, it was coming out like a rocket ship. And, you know, yeah, that's an issue. you got to have touch. I don't know if that's Ingram's problem or not. I Look, I, I think he would tell you there are moments when he's taking his eye off the ball. There are some times when he's closed his hands when he shouldn't have, or other times when maybe he was thinking about getting hit. Who knows? You know, I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe it's, it's on the quarterback in those situations. When the ball hits you in the hands, both hands, I think, you know, there's got to be a very high percentage of completion, even if it is a little bit too hard. 100%. I'm actually bringing up the play that the previous caller brought up, the Tyler Lockett catch yeah. when uh, Peppers was going at him out of play, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take a couple of other angles. Let's get another phone call in, and I'll give you my perspective. When I watched it initially, Paul, I had the same reaction as you, but sometimes a few days go by, maybe you could gain a different length. Sure. So we'll get into that as we move forward. But Duke joins us in Queens. What's happening, Duke? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about – I had a few statements, and I had one question. I wanted to talk about um, just the Giants in general right now and – how pleased and how happy I am as a fan. Um, you know, I honestly think, and I forget, I, I forget, I think Paul said it was it was the biggest one we've had since such and such game. I forget what game that was, but I think it's definitely top three biggest wins in, in the decade for the Giants, considering Colt McCoy, considering who the Seahawks are. So I just wanted to say that I'm very happy as a fan, very pleased, and I my expectation my expectation still isn't to make it to the high or far in the playoffs, but I I, I still am happy with the direction teams going in, and so at this point, I don't care what happens for the remainder of the season. I already think we're a much better team than we have been in the in the recent years. So very happy. Um, very happy with what with what Daniel Jones has been doing. Very pleased. I was angry because I thought he played his worst game of his career against the Eagles, but he came back, fought hard, and played to his best game the two weeks after. So very pleased. Um, so to to wrap it up, because that's that's the statement. I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. There's no ifs, no buts, no nothing. I'm happy. Very happy. A lot of people are. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can't even tell you, man. I was surprised we won. So my question is this, and I don't, I'm sorry if you talked about it already, but um, three keys to beating the Cardinals, because I think we can win every game that we have left on the remaining schedule. So three keys to beating the Cardinals, and thank you for taking my call. So you want us to go over the three keys. Is that what you're saying? Because I thought he was going to lay out his three keys. So well, did we I. Appreciate the phone call, Duke. <laughs> Thanks so much for weighing in. I, I, I he thought, wanted us right? to pass Did he give an introduction to, to his three keys and then he sort of let the call go? That was interesting. <laughs> as far as in terms of beating the Cardinals, though, in all seriousness, I think that it goes back to what Paul and I were talking about earlier. 
I think you certainly want Kyler Murray to throw this ball 40-some-odd times. I mean, you'd have no complaints if he has to try to win this game with his arm. You'd gladly sign up for that. Absolutely. But you also need to be aware of the Cardinals' ability to run the ball. You know, just because he hasn't been doing it in volume, this could be the game where maybe he iced up the shoulder a little bit more and he's back to 100%. You can't make assumptions based on previous film. And also, you know, they do have Kenyon Drake, who's more than capable of going off with some big runs here and there. We've seen that during the course of his career. I think, though, as far as the offensive side of things attacking this defense, this is a Cardinals defense that I think is a bit underrated, Paul, I would argue. I don't think this Cardinals defense is getting nearly as much credit as it deserves, and mainly because they don't have Chandler Jones anymore, but, you know, they just brought in Marcus Golden, of course, they made a trade, and this secondary's got a lot of playmakers. You look at Buda Baker's having a really strong season. He's only missed one game. I know Patrick Peterson may not be the same guy he was a few years ago, but he's still been an opportunistic player. He's got three interceptions, he's got a number of passes defense, and he leads the team in both categories, so you gotta be cautious about, I think, overlooking this Cardinals defense, even though it doesn't appear to be a shutdown unit thus far well I think offensively uh for me you know the the big key is to simply be patient against them because they will run that amoeba defense they will attack you with Buda Baker in some ways you know he's in that similar cutout style of Jamal Adams now look Jamal Adams is is the playmaker at safety in the league right now I'm not going to say anybody is as good as he is okay but what I will say is the style and the cutout of the way they use him, similar to what the Giants are trying to do a lot with Peppers. And, and Buda Baker is certainly one of those guys in that ilk. So you obviously need to make sure that with all their amoeba defenses, you need to make sure that you're going to be clean because they're going to make some plays. They are going to be times where they're going to rush you. They're going to uh, get you behind a line of scrimmage. Don't get caught up in that. Forget about it. Make clean plays. Move forward. Get on to the next play and be patient. That's what I uh, on, on offense. On defense, it's really pretty simple. Okay, when I say to you, got to shut down the run first. I'm not just talking about Drake. I'm talking about make sure you take care of Kyler Murray's legs too. Follow that blueprint of the Patriots used. Push the line of scrimmage and don't let him take off. Because if you put the game in his arm. You've got the Cardinals at a disadvantage. It is a handicap. He is not very good at reading defenses. He can be confused. That's quite obvious. There's no question about that. And if you take his legs away, that is his most lethal weapon. So do that. Make sure you take away his his uh, his legs. And I and I think the third thing, uh, in all honesty, clean up special teams. For the last two weekends, the Giants special teams sure. units have really been operating at a disadvantage, and that can't happen anymore. They've, they've got to get back to where they were just three weeks ago when they were one of the top five special team units in the NFL. And by the way, the Cardinals have some dangerous return men, okay? Chase Edmonds as their kickoff return Darn guy. straight. And Christian Kirk as their punt return guy. So there's no gifts here this week. These two guys can take it to the house in the blink of an eye. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. So I've had the opportunity to go back as we are in the midst of this show, and I have it queued up. Tyler Lockett's catch yep. on Jabril Peppers. So he absolutely gets his right foot in. There's no ands, ifs, or buts on that front. He does not get his left foot in, but... As he is going down, he gets his behind and his knee to hit the turf before he goes out of play. And as we well know, based on NFL rules, Paul, another body part is equivalent to two feet based yes. on the rules and regulations. So to me, it's close. And I, I will still stand by that initial description. But it's crystal clear based on the replay Fox showed that that was a catch. And I think that was wise for the Giants not to throw the flag. Thank you, Gene Steratore. There we go. <laughs> All right. Hey, I will wear as many hats as humanly possible, okay? You never know what you're going to get out of me here there on you Big go. Blue Kickoff Live. Let's go back to the phone lines. Keith is in Cranford. Keith, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Hey, I just want to tell you that I, I really do appreciate the job you guys have been doing, especially with the COVID and everything else. And, and uh, no, um, but well, I thank also you. Really appreciate, appreciate you tuning in. It. 
I also want to say about the uh, defense, I, I just love it the way they have so many different pieces of the puzzle and they can substitute in different things and they have the discipline and they just come such a long way from the beginning of the season. And uh, I really do appreciate it and um, the fact that the coaches and everything else are adjusting to the, the better teams and uh, I, I like the way they're playing. I, I really love the defense. Uh, not to say I don't love the offense. I think the offensive line has been coming along quite well. Uh, they're doing a much better job against the run for the run and and pass defense. And uh, I I'd, I'd still like to see uh, Jones get back out there because I I just think it adds a little more weapons to him. But I don't want to see him if he's going to get hurt because I want to see him get back good. And uh, that's pretty much it. And other than that, I gotta say, just go Giants. All right. Well, we appreciate the phone call, Keith. Thanks so much for weighing in. We should mention, because we had Phil Sims right off the top, so we didn't have an opportunity to discuss this, Paul. Joe Judge spoke to the media before we came on, and he was asked about Daniel Jones' status. First of all, they had a walkthrough yesterday. So he was listed as limited, but that wasn't a typical practice. And he mentioned that they're going to continue to monitor Daniel Jones. They're going to see how he adjusts to practice, how he's running around, because Joe Judge said that he has to protect his players from themselves. He can't just listen to what Daniel Jones is telling him because as he echoed multiple times throughout the course of this week, Daniel Jones is the type of guy he's going to want to go out there regardless. So Judge says the eye test is important. See what Daniel Jones could do during practice. And if the eye test passes, he used the term optimistic and hopeful that Daniel Jones could very well be out there on Sunday. I thought it was interesting, too, though, that he also added that he hopes to make a decision on him tomorrow. Now, I'll be frank with you. I suspected it would be more of a game-time decision. I I would think that he would wait as long as humanly possible to do it. But Judge uh, put put a timeline on this that he hopes to make a decision uh, tomorrow. Wow. Okay. You know, maybe it'll be that definitive. When they see him be put to the test, they will either like or not like what they see, and they'll just move forward with McCoy. But, you know, last week he did take him to Seattle. Now, you know, he was obviously uh, uh, in doubt. There was no, no, no uh, I don't want to say no doubt in doubt, but he was, he, was, he <laughs> was no doubt in doubt for that game. And as it turned out, you know, McCoy did what he had to do. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jim joins us from Atlanta. What's happening, Jim? Hey, guys, this is J.M. How you doing? J.M., okay, my apologies. I Hi. added an no extra word and initial. So what's happening, J.M.? Hey, first of all, I want to say uh, congrats to Dalvin Tomlinson on being this year's Giants nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I think he's a great candidate. Of course, I think this roster has a ton of great guys on it, and I'm sure the organization had no small task in narrowing it down and figuring out who their candidate this year was going to be. But Dalvin, he's such a great guy, and really think the world of him, and I think he's going to be a great candidate for that award. Good mention. Nice uh, for not forgetting for him. We should have uh, we should have mentioned that as well because he, he is a real quality human being, just a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I wanted to ask you guys about the defense, and, you know, I love how well this defense is performing under Patrick Graham, and I'll tell you, the last two years, 2018-2019 under James Betcher, I really felt like um, – yeah, it was just such a complicated system that players were being asked to perform in. And, you know, last year we heard DeAndre Baker about two-thirds of the way into the season saying that he still didn't understand the playbook. That seemed like a lot of players just Sunday after Sunday, it was obvious watching the team that these players just didn't know how to pick up their assignments. And it seemed like it was so complicated for them. And then when Patrick Graham was hired, I'll tell you, I had to pause at first because he kept talking about multiple, multiple, and I'm thinking, gosh, it's going to be another complicated system for players to try and learn. But this year has just been completely different. These players have done an amazing job picking up the system, and it's not simple. You watch it week after week, and these guys are being asked to do a lot of things. There's a lot of zone coverage, and somehow these players, and a lot of them are young, these guys are a ton of first-round draft picks that are performing here, and they seem to 
really JM, well. If I could enhance your point for just a minute and then we'll let you finish, I think it's critical to realize that Logan Ryan, who's been in this league for about a decade now, came right out and said this is the most complex defense that he has ever seen. And so that is a tribute to the teachers that Joe Judge put on his coaching staff because his philosophy is that we have to teach the players the concepts before we actually teach them the plays. And to me, that is a monumental difference from what the guys had to face last year. And then on top of that, you talk about all of the different rotating names, whether it's been at linebacker or in the secondary. The Giants, on almost a weekly basis, have had different guys taking different amount of snaps because of, of either injury or COVID or whatever the case may be. And yet, they've still been able to make it happen. So not only do I agree with you, I add another 10 thumbs up to exactly what you said for the variety of reasons I just mentioned. I also think it says a lot about the veterans on this team, too. Just yes, to add it does. another layer, because somebody like Logan Ryan has been exposed to various schemes, Blake Martinez. You take into consideration James Bradbury and Dalvin Tomlinson, who you mentioned. I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson could have went to Harvard to play football and study, and he chose to go to Alabama. So you talk about smart, savvy guys that I think can handle that. And I think Graham and the coaching staff, to Paul's point, have done a good job when we know that a player can handle something, we'll expose him to it. If we don't think he could do it, we'll move him along slowly. Because even though guys like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin and Nico Lalos are getting snaps, if you look at the numbers, the snaps are not overwhelming. You know, they're not throwing these guys out there to play 30, 40 some odd snaps. It's progressive. And I think if you monitor each player and you have a good read on your players, then that helps them adjust and absorb the system. So it's the combination of the teaching and it's the combination of the players knowing what they can handle and can't handle. And I think all of that has come together very nicely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for your response on that. You got it, Jam. Appreciate the phone call. Lance, Thanks so much for joining us. Imagine how good this defense would be if Lorenzo Carter had been able to stay on the field all year. He was on his way to having a really good season. Well, what about O'Shane Zimenez, too? Zimenez, I think, is still an unknown. I think he's still a wait-and-see kind of guy. We'd like to believe that he will progress and take a step up and become that type of impact player who can really help the pass rush. But but I, I don't think there was any mystery that Lorenzo Carter was on his way to a breakout year when he got injured. They were expecting big things from him, especially when you look at how many years he's been in the league. And I'm not saying it's been a lot, but this was that year where you expected a breakout campaign, year number three. And the fact that you also were putting some other young guys around him and that maybe that could open up the door for him to do more damage. So, of course, it was disappointing to see him go down against the Dallas Cowboys. And by you bringing up Lorenzo Carter, Paul, I think that's another aspect to show how impressive this defense has been. Because while we're talking about all the movable parts, Patrick Graham could have had even more toys to play with, right? If everybody actually stayed healthy this season. Well, he thought and the he fact was that they have lost McKinney. those guys, that right? speaks more volumes. He thought he was going to have McKinney. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, about to start the season. Oh, we don't have McKinney. <laughs> Just like that. Which, There's of course, no allowed them to sign Logan Ryan. So let's let's also temper that a little bit because if McKinney was healthy – Chances are Logan Ryan does not land here. It's the domino effect. One thing basically led to another. So if you say one guy's healthy, who's to say that that all of a sudden opens the door for another player to come in? But the addition of Logan Ryan has been critical. And interestingly, Joe Judge, when he spoke to the media today, he was asked specifically about their philosophy going into the offseason with free agency because when you point to what Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, and Logan Ryan have done, Graham Gano on special teams, he was asked about, were you looking for guys that fit what you wanted to do? Were you looking for guys that were attractive on the free agent market? And he emphasized, Paul, that they were looking for, and maybe this is cliched, but once again, this is, goes hand-in-hand hand with why the team is performing well, good locker room guys that are going to mm -hmm. feed off the rest of the team. And that, to me, is a common trait amongst all the players they brought in. I mean, when you listen to Logan Ryan talk to the media, he's always gushing about his teammates. 
and what a guy like Jabril Peppers can do. He was talking about Dalvin Tomlinson and how valuable a season he thinks Dalvin is having, even though he doesn't get the notoriety because statistics. He was asked about Leonard Williams. He talked about how Leonard Williams is a beast on the field, but off the field, he's a very calming influence. And when you take the time to get into depth about your teammates, I think that says a lot about the bond that these guys share well beyond X's and O's. It does, and I will only take one second to remind everybody that was a key component to the Dave Gettleman plan. When he wanted to rebuild this team, he knew he had to do it. One of the key items was, I'm going to make sure we get the right kind of guys in the locker room. And he's done that. He's got the right coach and the right coaching staff. And when it all comes together, it turns into a beautiful painting. And, and this was the vision that Dave Gettleman had wanted all along. Uh, for some people, they were impatient. It took a little time, a little more time than maybe they wanted to get here. But this was the, the blueprint that, that the GM was trying to execute. Let's head back to the lines. Woody is in Walton. Woody, what do you got for us? Hey, guys, how you doing? I just coaching, coaching, coaching. The importance of coaching cannot be overstated, in my opinion. I am so happy that we've got this coach. I wasn't real happy back when all the other teams were getting these Super Bowl coaches. But i got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed with Mr. Judge at this point. Well, we talked about it earlier. It's not just Joe Judge. Remember, it's also the individuals he brought in on staff. I think that can't yeah, be overlooked. Absolutely. And it absolutely. also goes back to what you said, where name recognition is not always synonymous with winning. It's about what's good for your team and the development of your players. And you're right. Joe Judge was not a household name when the Giants hired him. He was a special teams coordinator, wide receivers coach. And for most casual fans, you're not necessarily looking through the coaching depth charts across the league and studying who those various people are. But people in NFL circles keep up on those things. And the fact that he learned from Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, it's hard to overlook that. But I still think Joe Judge and his staff have to go hand-in-hand hand when you talk about the impact that his arrival has had on the New York Giants. You know, when you talk about coaching staffs, I really think to go full circle on this program, and just give me half a second here, just remember it was Ray Perkins. When he was hired by the Giants in 79 by George Young, he brought in some special teams guy named Bill Belichick to be part of the Giants staff, and he brought in some guy named Bill Parcells to be his linebackers coach. You tell me that staffs don't matter? <laughs> staffs do matter a whole hell of a lot. Oh, absolutely. I got a perfect example. I I do chains for our high school football team. We were in the state playoffs years ago. We're in a smallest classification, 65, 70 kids graduate a year. We played a team that had a guy on that went to the NFL, Latavius Murray. And, and we yes, beat him 52 to 14 because our coach is fourth winning as coach in New York State history. So coaching does matter all the way through. And he had great staffs, too. But, yes, and, and the other thing I wanted to bring up was I have been so impressed with, i got to tell you, Paul, I was not a fan of the Leonard Williams trade, but I'm coming around to you, buddy. <laughs> and Logan Ryan also, man, we got to keep both of those guys. Well, I'll tell I you what, I'll, I'll open up my wallet week. and I'll throw a couple of George Washingtons out there to help them. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> All right, Woody, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a ring. Leonard Williams, by the way, named the NFC Defensive Player of the Week for his efforts against the Seattle Seahawks. And I mentioned this earlier in the week when I was on with John. Everybody talks about the two and a half sacks. I was most impressed that he had half of the quarterback hits for the team in that yeah, game, five. Paul. He had five yeah. of the ten quarterback yeah. hits. I mean, that to me stands out, too, the fact that he was active throughout the entire game. Yeah, in the closing moments here, Lance, I would remind people that as it stands right now, Leonard Williams uh, is top ten in the NFL, I believe, in quarterback hits, uh, tackles for a loss, and sacks. I mean, right across the board. And I, I don't want to get carried away now, but – do we start to think about getting a tailor to knit a cowl for him? I don't think he's a Batman yet. He still has another month to go. 
Let's see what he winds up with. I've always said, uh, be a Batman. You got to get over a dozen sacks in the season. You know, you got to get in that 13, 14, 15, 16 range. You got to get more than 12. I don't know where he's going to land. I promised you before opening day he'd get at least eight. Well, he's done that. But can he get to Batman numbers? I'm not sure. Well, he's been a consistent force specifically over these last few games. It's not just about his total sacks. He's had at least one sack in four of the last five games. So that also is part of getting to Batman status, Paul. Yes. It's the fact that you know every game he's bound to make an impactful play. He's getting to that level. Can he finish strong to your point in the final quarter of the season? That remains to be seen. But keep in mind... The NFL watches everybody. So while the Giants are very pleased with Leonard Williams' performance, when you ask the question about can the Giants retain him, when a player improves, that means his market value improves too, Paul. So it's not just the Giants competing against themselves. It's them competing against other teams, especially since he's not locked up long term. So you at least need to take that into consideration. He's had a sack, a quarterback hit, or a tackle for a loss in all but three games this season. And that goes to the consistency that you just addressed. Well, that is going to wrap things up for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Friday at noon Eastern as we get you set for the matchup between the Giants and the Cardinals. We thank Phil Sims once again for joining us earlier today on the Sims Spotlight which was brought to you by Bigelow Tea, grab a mug, and tea proudly. Big Blue Kickoff Live, as always, presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, great conversation as always. Look forward to doing it again shortly. Terrific show, Lance. Thank you. Thanks to all our listeners, our tweeters as well. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Stay locked to Giants.com. We'll speak to you on Friday. Have a good one.